Thank you for listening to the AW360 Podcast. As we return to something resembling normalcy, both personally and professionally, in our post-pandemic journey, the subject of well-being is likely higher on our list of priorities than ever before. On this episode of the AW360 Podcast, I speak with Mark Ralphs and Taru Mekinen of Good Rebels, a digital agency with a keen focus on digital well-being. We discuss what it means to be digitally well and what consumers can expect from brands looking to join the well-being revolution. Enjoy. Mark and Tyra, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Richard. Thank you. Tell me and the audience for the uninitiated, what do you guys do at, uh, at Good Rebels? So Good Rebels, in the kind of simplest terms, is a digital strategy and creative agency, which we mean, which means that we help companies all around the world build their brands and sell more products. Uh, what's more interesting about Good Rebels, because there are lots of marketing agencies in the world, but what's more interesting about Good Rebels, I think, is some of the, the values that we're committed to. So we're very committed to the principles of what we call human-centered organizations, and to try and sum it up Pithily, human-centered organizations are businesses that, yes, create value for themselves and for you know their clients and their client shareholders, but also are very considerate to how they create value for their employees and co-workers and also how they have a positive impact on wider society. So we're a marketing agency, but we're strongly value-driven. Excellent. And what made that come about, just in terms of that sort of focus? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I just think we've been... I mean, originally, Good Rebels, which started uh, in Madrid and was back in the kind of late uh, kind of 2000 and well, the 2000s was called Territorio Creativo. We, we got very interested in social media in around 2009. And of course, some of the principles, particularly of early social media, perhaps it's been lost a little bit now, but it's all about people, community, you know, really trying to build and engage in different ways to traditional marketing and advertising. We also have uh, some founders who are very values driven. So all of those things have really kind of got us to the point where we are now in terms of the principles we try and stand by as a business. And what sort of work are you doing these days? I mean, Tari, why don't you answer, you answer that? Yeah, so we have quite a lot of different types of projects we do at the moment. So in terms of sector, for example, we do work for FMCG, um, pharma, we do some work for automotive. So it's really a range kind of, it can be anything from, you know, helping them establish a strategy, or maybe starting from kind of insights and developing that into their strategy, it could be um, paid media campaigns, it could be creative campaigns, um, it could be co-creation. So it's really a range. Um, I guess my role specifically kind of revolves around the um, the insights and, you know, that's very related to the Age of Balance report that I think we're going to talk about today. Why wait? Let's talk about it now. What is the <laughs> Age of Balance report and give us some insights into what's in it? Yeah, so um, basically, I'll just start with how the idea came about for this report. So um, we were kind of thinking um, at both digital and about well-being. Um, both of those things are very kind of on the surface. Often when people think about digital well-being, they think about digital as something negative. So digital well-being as, you know, having less screen time and kind of being away from digital um, as something that, you know, enhances your well-being. But we wanted to flip that around and actually think about how digital could enhance 
a person's well-being. So what we did um, is we did a survey with um, 900 participants across three of our markets. So um, we work in UK, Spain and Mexico. So we did it across those three markets. Um, and then also we conducted 40 interviews, um, just kind of more in-depth interviews to understand um, how people see you know, what well-being is to them, um, what digital, you know, where digital fits into their well-being routine, and also how the pandemic has changed, you know, how they look after their well-being, you know, how they see their well-being, and also what the future looks like for, you know, looking after your well-being by using digital resources. Interesting. And so what sort of role has the pandemic played in that in, in shifting priorities? And personally speaking, I've always looked at digital as sort of an educational tool and social media early on in early days as much the same, you know, a great place for communication, community and so on. It feels as though our reliance on digital for everything, you know, over the past year plus now has been pretty much a game changer. What sorts of insights do you have in terms of well-being from that perspective? I mean, you mentioned digital being a game changer in the last 15 months. I mean, what we've all seen is what we call a super digitalization, which is, you know, it's a very long word, but it's all about how the pandemic has accelerated the uptake of digital services in every area of our life. And I mean, of course, you know, nowhere is truer than the world of work where through using tools like Zoom, through using tools like Slack, we're now able to work remotely, to work uh, asynchronously, you know, in lots of interesting ways and they're kind of in a similar way to whether or not it be people buying you know people buying groceries online or people you know using other types of uh, online services within well-being we've seen a big uptake in people yes you know recognizing there's a need perhaps to to detox from digital occasionally but also using a huge variety of different tools to improve their well-being whether or not it be everything from kind of diet and exercise through to things like mindfulness, uh, mental well-being and so on. And that's just been, as with every other part of our lives, accelerated by the last 15 months. Yeah, and I guess I would probably add that to the aspect of accessibility. So, you know, obviously we've all been sort of confined into our own space, but also when we think about accessibility in terms of, you know, people being, you know, things being accessible mentally. So for example, if somebody isn't quite sure what they're looking for, or, you know, they're not feeling very good, you know, it's much more, you know, it's much easier to access a digital wellbeing service than for example, an in-person service. So there's both that physical and mental accessibility, which particularly in the past year and a half has made, you know, has made these types of services um, a lot more useful for people. And how do you think brands can leverage digital well-being for their particular consumers, especially you know, going out a little bit further, brands that aren't necessarily directly associated with well-being or haven't been in the past at least? Well, it's important that, you know, we think about um, the well-being market as something that's very holistic. So, you know, a lot of well-being brands don't necessarily have to, you know, offer I don't know, exercise videos or protein shake subscriptions or things like that. You know, if we think about well-being, the kind of rule of thumb there is that if your brand offers something that makes the consumer's life easier, 
then they are a well-being brand. Um, and particularly, you know, in relation to digital, because digital resources do, you know, make our lives easier a lot of the time because, you know, the accessibility, the cost, the variety, there's no geographical limitations. So actually by offering, you know, quite a simple service, you know, you can still make a consumer's life a lot better and improve their quality of life. Um, and that essentially is what makes a well-being brand. A question to both of you, and Tara, we'll start with you. What brands do you think are really doing great and interesting work in the in the well-being space? Well, I would start with Nike um, because they're, you know, they obviously we know what they do, but if we look at their advertising, they have a very kind of inclusive um an inclusive area in their advertising, for example, um, their greatness campaign and what is greatness. So I feel like they cater to people, you know, regardless of where they might be in their kind of well-being journey or, you know, whether they're someone that's just starting out or someone that's very experienced, you know, in what they want to achieve. Nike doesn't just focus on the goal. They actually focus on kind of the entire journey and, and it's very inclusive. So I would use that as a, as a good example of a, a well-being brand. And Mark? I think Nike is really interesting. I mean, Nike, Nike for a long time has been able to communicate, whether or not it be around issues like diversity, um, issues like race. You know, it, it's been able to communicate and and kind of live in those areas because of years and years of supporting, for example, diverse or black athletes or whatever. And so they've got this kind of universal. Uh, appeal which can now include well-being which I think is really interesting for me there's there's a huge variety of other brands as well which are doing interesting stuff in well-being so I mean let's just take this is this might not necessarily come to mind but we all know that that music and um, sound is really important to our well-being and um, perhaps it's one of the things we've missed most in the last 50 months the ability to to go and hear live music and to you know really kind of experience that type of you know sensory um sensory experience so spotify interestingly enough in the last uh, 12 months has seen 180 uh, percent increase in people searching for well-being playlists or well-being podcasts um, on their network which i think is really interesting the way that when we can't have live experiences we're turning to platforms like um spotify for for that kind of you know rich resource that kind of richer experience and then there's a plethora of brands really interesting ones who are operating for example, in the mindfulness area. So, I mean, these are these are brands, for example, like Calm, like Headspace, which encourage mindfulness, encourage meditation, encourage you actually just to take a moment to, to think and breathe and provide, without it, not, without it being too intrusive, but provide some simple digital tools which can help you create the kind of disciplines um, in your life um, that encourage uh, well-being. And they're really being taken up um, by particularly younger um, segments of, of the kind of well-being audience. Do you think the interest in digital well-being will be a lasting goal for both consumers and brands? Or is it one of those things that kind of fades away over time as we all return to some semblance of normalcy, whatever that might look like? I think that's, I mean, you know, that's a looking into the future question. My, my opinion is that well-being is going to be increasingly part of great brands' purpose and values in the way that sustainability is being talked about very commonly now we all know that you know significant numbers of consumers make 
purchasing decisions based on whether or not this or that brand has sustainable credentials. I think we're going to see that move over time into people recognising that brands which care about the well-being of their people and of their customers, that will be a key driver for, for purchase triggers. And that will therefore also influence more and more brands to put well-being at, at the heart of what they do. And yes, I'm sure Tari would, would back me up when, she, when I think it's definitely the case that the kind of digital services which create a framework for well-being are just going to grow and grow. And I think that will be something that will certainly sustain over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I'll add to that. Um, for this specific um, research that we did, we focused on the age group of people between 20 and 30. Um, and it's an interesting age group because these people will be the big well-being spenders of the next decades. Um, and this age group from our research, you know, they've now discovered that you know, these types of services and products are available in a digital format. And just the kind of pure accessibility of it, you know, is such a big driver that, you know, I don't see the world opening up as being a barrier um, to these types of services still being in demand. And also this is an age group that recognizes, you know, what well-being actually encompasses. So, you know, rather than just, for example, mental well-being and physical well-being as a kind of, you know, blanket terms, well-being also includes socializing, you know, relaxation, even money management is something that our um, research group recognized as a well-being area. So, you know, there's all these different areas that people recognize as something that they can use digital to, you know, look after. So just the kind of pure volume of resources being available now, just, you know, to me, that just, I just don't see people kind of abandoning all of those resources and, and not kind of being demanding for more. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting. Just to that uh, that idea of demanding for more, and one of the things I love about the digital space and the, the social space is it really helps brands live their purpose more boldly. And you see that in how people are incorporating well-being into their kind of propositions. I mean, uh, I don't know where in the US you're based, Richard. Sorry if I'm, I missed that, but. Um, uh, there's a really interesting um, plant-based food service called Plantable, which comes out of New York. And Plantable, yes, you know, they offer you, uh, you know, they're kind of the value of that brand exists on a number of levels. So, yes, it's plant-based. Yes, it's it's kind of ready, you know, meals that you cook yourself at home, which are prepared for you by chefs. So you just have to warm them up in quite a simple way. But it's also as part of its product proposition is really interested in, you know, how does it, how does it help with your well-being? You know, how does it reset the way you feel? How does it keep you accountable to, to living a better, healthier diet that gives you more energy and is generally better for you holistically? And I see it being, you know, those kind of brands and those kind of services that people are going to increasingly look to because whatever, you know, happens next, we know that some of the trends which, you know, have perhaps been accelerated by the pandemic, but a strong underlying factors as well are going to exist. And so that's busy lives, that's being pulled in different directions. That's the, the challenge of things like diet, health and obesity and exercise and all of these things are areas where, you know, brands that, that want to live their purpose more boldly will be able to find really exciting uh, areas to play in. Well, it is pretty interesting that self-care has 
taken center stage here due to the pandemic, it feels like that was already coming anyway. Mm. It's just simply accelerated it. For the record, I could throw a rock right now and and hit the Adidas headquarters. And if I threw in <laughs> really, really, really hard, I could hit the <laughs> Nike headquarters. That, that's where I'm located. So I'm surrounded by outdoors people and sporting goods mm. and and all of that, which which is great. It's great. It's, um you know, I, I don't necessarily come from that background, but the influence of the, the community around me has certainly nudged me in that direction. I actually purchased a whole bunch of sporting goods stuff yesterday. So in, in the interest <laughs> of my own personal well-being, you spend enough time staring at screens. You, you want to get away from screens and get out and see the world. But I dare say that having screens and those resources definitely assist me in figuring out where to go, who to go with, what to take with me, all of those things, and the expectations of my own health and wellness as a result. One question I, I do have, and this is kind of going back, you know, you said that your origins were in social media. What sort of role do you see social playing in all of this? I, I'm sure you both are well aware that when we think of toxicity right now, social media is really high on that list. And aside from the obvious things of, well, you know, if somebody's getting you down, simply don't follow them, mm. which that's easier said than done, to be honest, because so many of the people that we have as friends or family you know, tend to share things that we may or may not agree with or, you know, news stories we may not want to hear at that moment in time. But how do you see that moving into the future and, and shaping kind of our own well-being? How will brands especially play a part in that, if any? It's an interesting question because uh, one of the things that we researched was, you know, what type of content consumers want to see from brands. And, you know, obviously when we're on social media, we can't control, you know, what our friends post or, you know, things like that. But I think brands really have a responsibility here. And what we found is the kind the most useful, desirable content for consumers is um, content that is inclusive, is motivating, it's inspirational. Um, but what they don't want to see is, you know, educational content. So, you know, consumers don't want to see, you know, hard numbers of, you know, scientific facts. You know, first of all, they might not be facts because there's so much, you know, information out there that, you know, brands shouldn't kind of strive to give scientific evidence or advice to consumers. Their role is to, just motivate and inspire consumers. And we actually found that, you know, social media profiles of brands are one of the least um, reliable sources of information for our participants. And actually influencers are even less, considered even less reliable. So, you know, our consumers are not looking to, you know, find information about macros or, you know, information about, I don't know, heart rates and things like that online from brands. Brands should stick to kind of inspiring content, um, motivational content, and in that way, really kind of be inclusive and encourage their consumers rather than kind of try to educate them or even guilt trip them. Yeah, I think there's, uh, I completely endorse everything that Tori said there. I think there's a, a bigger question as well, Richard, that you're alluding to, which is, you know, actually, is, is social media bad for, for our health, bad for our well-being? And, I mean, I think as, as coming from a background where, I mean, I was working what we used to call community. We called it, before social media existed, we used to call it online community. And the kind of the promise of online community, the promise of social media would be that you would be able to connect with people that shared your interests um, in kind of, uh, remarkable and fulfilling ways and there's still a lot about social media which which 
absolutely delivers on that promise. I mean, anecdotally, you know, we have an art director just joined at Good Rebels. Um, he's a sailing instructor. He's been a lifelong member of a sailing club. And that sailing club's whole community is supported by the tools that Facebook give away for free. So it has a really important role still in supporting communities, in bringing communities of interest um, together in positive ways in every area of our lives. And I, I still think that's fantastic. On the flip side, there's no doubt at all that it has a really, you know, lots and lots of guilty secrets. And I think there are many things that the, the big social networks could do to reduce the risk of people damaging their, their well-being, damaging their, their self-image, their confidence, particularly younger people from using sites like Instagram, like Facebook, like Snapchat. Um, one of which is that we definitely could be much stricter around what age um, young people get onto um, social networks on. At the moment it's 13, but we know, and Facebook knows, that many young people younger than 13 are using Instagram, are using Snapchat, but they, they don't do anything about it because their goal is still primarily about audience and about interactions, engagements, likes, etc, etc. Uh, and so I think that within the industry, I think that it's important that brands and agencies take some responsibility to try and persuade Facebook to do more of the right things um, more often. Uh, and still, in my view, they don't do enough of the right things often enough. Taro, Mark, I appreciate you being on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Richard. Great talking to you. Thanks so much. AW360 is a production of Advertising Week, the world's premier content and events destination for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries. For more content like this, visit advertisingweek.com.